Welcome to this week's episode of Getting on the Green. Today we have Brian Alford, who is the Director of Market Analytics for CoStar Group. He went to Georgia Tech, great school. He is a professional speaker, an analyst, and an expert in commercial real estate, underwriting, trends, and economics. Let's get right into it. All right, I'm really excited about this new episode uh, with Brian Alford. Um, we are going to be talking about a couple of different things today, uh, more specifically on the market of Florida and how we are today. So we're, we're going to get into that. So I just gave a quick bio about Brian, but um, let me welcome him in. Thanks for being here, Brian. Um, really glad to have you here. We haven't really talked about the state of the market of Florida, even though that's my home state. I had uh, my buddy... Uh, Timmy O'Reilly talking about the state of the market in New York, and that's actually one of the top um, podcasts I've had so far. So I thought, how could I not have somebody on talking about the state of Florida, which I live in, which I know better than any other state um, in our wonderful country. So welcome, Brian. I'm thrilled to have you here and talking about this subject. Hey, thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me. i uh, give you a quick background on myself. I'm a uh, adopted Floridian. I'm a native Atlantan. Okay. I went to school at uh, Georgia Tech, as you mentioned in the bio. I've been in Tampa for the past four years with CoStar Group. I have been in commercial real estate 15 years uh, for this on the, or the brokerage side. So I've kind of been on multiple sides of the table here. So I got kind of a good, well-rounded understanding of how the industry works. Uh, and I love it here in Florida. It's, it's my new home. I don't anticipate leaving early, anytime soon. Uh, and so I'm really, really happy to talk about the state. So, so tell us about what you actually do for CoStar and, and give a brief background about what CoStar is in case somebody doesn't know. CoStar is the largest data and analytics provider for the commercial real estate industry, uh, by far number one. We have a multitude of offerings and subsidiaries, from LoopNet on the marketing side to CoStar, which is uh, more database, but we also have Apartments.com and other affiliates. So, uh, you've, you've, if you're in commercial real estate, you're well familiar with one or more of our offerings, I would, I would assume. Mm -hmm. And what I what I do with the product is, I am an economist and uh, mark, director of market analytics for Florida. So I analyze economic and macro trends and commercial real estate trends across the state looking for any anything that I can report to the clients. Kind of a twofold job in that I'm doing a lot of writing analysis, but also presenting in public speaking. And really I'd say the ultimate goal of my job is to uh, just continue to facilitate the flow of information, uh, providing information for brokers and financers and people out in the market to use to do their job. And in turn, they hand back information and we just keep uh, kind of regurgitating that information and all getting a little bit smarter and knowledgeable about Florida in the process. So we have an economist who specializes in Florida. I can't really think of a, uh, and he works for the largest uh, data analytics group um, online. So, you know, I really can't think of somebody better to talk about the state of the Florida market than you. So I'm thrilled to have you here talking to us. So let's get right into it. Um, what is the state of the market right now? You know, we're, we're uh, however long through uh, COVID, um, let's, let's say what the overall economy is pre COVID. And then let's talk about it 
how we are right now um, during COVID, if you don't mind. Sure. Well, the economy pre-COVID for the past six or seven years was pretty, uh, pretty fantastic. One of the highest population growth states in the country, job growth uh, really across the board, really fantastic. Uh, high job growth areas, obviously, in Orlando and Tampa, among the top 10 for years. Orlando in particular, it's a uh, no-income stack, state income tax state. It's got a wonderful climate. Uh, really, we were just attracting residents in droves across the board. The economies were doing really, really well. Since the uh, since the pandemic began in March, Florida is more exposed because the, the primary industries that have really been boosting our economy, tourism, obviously, with retail, leisure, and hospitality have been among the hardest hit. And so, especially certain areas of Florida that are more highly exposed to those industries, the obvious being Orlando, but anywhere along the coast as well, has have seen larger than average employment drops, at least for the initial couple of months. Uh, and this varies widely from market. Every market's got a, a different level of exposure to those industries. But thus far, we have seen a pretty strong bounce back in most markets. When you're looking at employment recovery, where we are today, uh, there are only two markets that are uh, have seen 10% employment losses at this point since February. That is Orlando and Palm Beach. Everywhere else has, has really started to pick up. Uh, in particular, some areas, Melbourne, Ocala, Panama City, uh, they're only down about 2 or 3% from where they were pre-COVID. So they're getting back close to pre-pandemic employment level. Do you, can you give a reason why that would be, why uh, those areas wouldn't be hit as hard as others? In Ocala, a lot of it was, it's, there's not much tourism there at all. It's, uh, it's more retiree and there's horse farming and things like that, industrial. Uh, so it really didn't have any industry exposure. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of tourism there. Panama City, uh, it's its employment market has been down now for about a year and a half, two years because of Hurricane Michael. So it was already down, and it was coming from a kind of low spot. So there wasn't it had already taken a big hit. Those industries already, and those haven't recovered from Hurricane Michael. Uh, so relative to where it was prior, it, it's still not great. Uh, but most of that's because of the hurricane. Melbourne has been a re. Vitalization of the private space sector with SpaceX and Blue Origin and the rocket launches. Mm-hmm. And that has really fueled a huge economic resurgence there in the past two to three years, which has helped offset. Uh, where we've seen the deepest losses have been South Florida, the three counties, because of the kind of epicenter of the outbreak there. Orlando, uh, really those, those four markets have been the hardest hit. Palm Beach, Lauderdale, Miami, Orlando. Orlando from the exposure to tourism and then the epicenter outbreak from um, COVID in South Florida. Yeah, it's interesting. The uh, as as I'm sure a lot of us know, the uh, the cruise industry is a major economic driver of the South Florida industry. When you have um, we have two major ports that that service these cruise ships, and when you have thousands of people, uh, maybe even millions of people, who come from around the world to go on cruises that port in um, Port Everglades and Port of Miami, um, and they need hotels when they're on land, they need restaurants, they need entertainment. So that's a major driver of our economy in South Florida. And as we know, 
the, I think the cruises haven't sailed in like six months, something like that, which is a major halt in our systems because building and these other eco- economical growth um, is based on what they envision is the uses of you know the entire city and um, the amount of tourism that comes in. So it, it's it's interesting to see how just one sector, the cruise line industry, um, has had such a major impact, at least on the Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach area. Yep, absolutely. And also, uh, when you're thinking about the South Florida markets, there was an extended lockdown period. Uh, they were much later coming out of that lockdown and, and a much slower reopening compared to the rest of the state, which uh, has kept some of the job growth from bouncing back as quickly as some of the other markets. So can you talk to us a little bit about, just so we can um, take slightly a more macro view in comparison, um, how, how's Florida doing in comparison to the rest of the country, would you say? Uh, it's, it'll vary on a market-to-market basis. I hate to say it that way, but it really is true. When you look at the country, uh, the worst markets, just the top, are I want to say top, we'll say the worst 20 markets in terms of lowest recovery for the employment levels. Uh, Orlando and the South Florida markets are all in the top 20. The rest of the state is actually doing pretty well. Tampa, Jacksonville uh, is one of the top 10. Jacksonville are really holding up well. Uh, So compared to the rest of the country, uh, and it really kind of lines up in the country as you would expect. The markets that are tourism dependent, Honolulu, Vegas, Orlando, hard hit. The areas with a high outbreak, New York, Connecticut, northern New Jersey, high, New Orleans is up there. And then the others in the top 20 is largely the California and West Coast markets. They had a really prolonged shutdown period compared to some of the other areas. Yeah. Uh, so, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, and it really just holds up if you look at it. That's why I say market by market. It depends on the diversity of the workforce, how exposed it is to those industries that got hit hard, as well as the severity of the outbreak. It's interesting that you said Vegas, because I know that Vegas was open a lot of the time during this, um, you know, they were one of the first to either never shut down. I don't know exactly what they did, but they either never shut down or they were one of the first to open back up. Cause I, I remember they were talking about, oh, the casinos are opening up or something like that. And, you know, what's that going to do? What's, you know, is that going to affect the health? Um, and so meanwhile, they kind of have never been shut down, but at the same time, um, based on what you're seeing, they're one of the harder hit. They are one of the harder hit. I think it's probably harder to justify uh, those people that are traveling. It's a little easier to justify maybe heading to Florida, the beaches, Disney, than <laughs> going to, to gamble. That's part of the issue. And even though they've been open, keep in mind the hospitality industry, the occupancy rates. So open doesn't mean fully staffed or anywhere close to it because they're just not getting the visitors so they're just kind of operating on almost skeleton crews in the hotels that are. Yeah, that's that's interesting because, like like you said, even though they're open, they're at a limited capacity. We see restaurants in South Florida, at least, uh, were recently, well, at first they were shut down totally. And then it came to, um, you can have outside seating only. So the restaurants that, you know, didn't have any outside seating were SOL. And then 
as of now, we have 50% capacity. So little by little, they're able to have more business, but they're nowhere near what they could potentially be doing. And I, I can't even imagine what type of struggles and um, you know, business style strategy they have to come up with in order to survive, let alone thrive. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's going to continue to be an issue, uh, especially as we go through the winter months and the flu season. Uh, I don't know if many of those restaurants will be able to withstand a second wave, of, certainly probably not a second shutdown. So that's something we're going to keep an eye on as we go forward over the next few months. Yeah, that's interesting. So let's get a little bit more micro. Um, how are the specific commercial properties doing? For instance, uh, you know, office versus industrial, retail versus multifamily. Can you give us a little bit of a breakdown on uh, how, how those different sectors are doing within the commercial world? Sure. Which one do you want to start with? Um, let's go with office. Okay. Well, office thus far, uh, it's seen some impact, not a lot. It's, it's tough to make a decision. There's a three to five year lease on average or larger. So a little bit of, of a delay. It takes time for firms to be able to start shifting, you know, on a, on a seismic shift across the industry. So the big question everyone always asks is, have we seen any evidence of downsizing and a big shift to work from home? The answer to that is not yet, not in the data. It will take time for that to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't think we'll see any real evidence other than anecdotal examples, which I could give you a few. But for now, no signs in the data of that shift. It'll, it'll be a little while. And, and so are you saying that that's because the data lags or because there isn't much movement yet because there can't be because of those three to five year leases? Yeah, well, it lags because of it takes time for the leases to mount enough to give a sample size. Uh-huh. Uh, but at this point, we really don't have enough information. The CDC just you know, they go back and forth on whether it's airborne. <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough for landlords something new to every day. know what to do with the ACs and the returns. Is it airborne? Is it not? Uh, you really just can't make a decision on the like, next five or ten years and how your office space needs really six months into the pandemic. So we're still a little bit of a wait and see in that regard, too. And that firms are trying to delay it as long as possible, get as much information as It'll come. Uh, usually, I would say we'll probably start seeing maybe after we get past this flu season. And we'll start seeing probably maybe in the first or second quarter, I think, some trends in that regard. But fundamentally, the market has slipped. We did see, and I'm just going to speak on Florida as a whole okay. for the most part. Yeah. Uh, we saw over a million square feet of negative office net absorption in the second quarter. That's the first time we saw a number that high since the Great Recession. Available space has jumped about a million square feet across the state. Keep in mind, we're talking about the entire state. These numbers, they sound, they're going to sound massive, but a million square feet over the state is not a huge hit. Uh, but we're definitely seeing available square footage increase, particularly in the third quarter. Vacancies have risen since the end of 2019, about 80 basis points. Uh, and sublet space. Sublet space has also gone up, increased... Uh, we only saw about a 75,000 square foot of additional, additional sublet space available in the second quarter. Not really much at all. But the third quarter, we've seen a million square feet added. So we're seeing a lot of indicators, especially in the available and sublet available space that's being marketed, moving, that's pointing towards potential softening in the upcoming couple of quarters. 
the other thing I would point out is that construction is still higher than it's been for the most part over the last decade, but most of Florida hasn't built much office. We got pretty burned by the last recession. We have seen a little bit of starts pick up an office in the second, uh, third quarter. Second quarter was just very, very few starts. Leasing activity was low in the second quarter. Starts are picking up in the office sector. Leasing volume is picking up in the office sector, so demand is still out there. And the other positive sign, especially for the brokerage community, is that after the lowest quarter, the lowest quarter for sales volume in a decade, we have already exceeded that here in the third quarter. So we're seeing more deals happen than we saw in the second quarter. It's a little bit of a mixed bag. It looks like we've got some softening coming, but demand is increasing. Transactions are increasing. It's not all bad news. Uh, we are moving in the right direction. Okay, so now let's uh, talk a little bit about the industrial sector. Uh, what can you tell us about the industrial sector? Because I know based on my um, brokerage, um, I think that the industrial hasn't really been affected really at all. And if anything, they've um, benefited from this entire situation. So I'm interested to see if uh, the actual data matches what I've seen in my own, you know, small little um, South Florida section of my brokerage. Yes, the data does reflect very minimal impact. Obviously, industrial is, is relatively shielded. Any spillover from job losses into the economies are largely offset by the boost they've gotten from e-commerce as we're all staying at home mostly. When you look at the industrial fundamentals, we have not had negative absorption. We're still seeing positive net absorption. In the third quarter, it looks like over the state of Florida, we're going to have a actual negative quarter. However, in one market, Ocala, there was super value, which vacated the entirety of their 733,000 square foot bulk storage facility this month. Yeah. If you adjust for that one really large vacating tenant, we're actually still positive across the entire state. So, Still no negative absorption. When you look at leasing volume, leasing volume in the second quarter of 2020 actually increased. So we're still seeing really high leasing volume. It looks like we could be down a little bit in the third quarter, but second quarter is typically the strongest of the year just for industrial leasing. So minimal impact, if any at all, in leasing volume and activity across the state. Demand is still there. Uh, so that's looking good. Construction, we've seen starts pick up in the third quarter. Construction starts dropped across the board for all property types in Q2, I think pretty obviously. Mm -hmm. So just saying it's rising in the third quarter is almost meaningless because it's coming from the lowest. Almost, uh, but we're seeing construction starts pick back up. Space under construction is picking up. Developers are still pretty optimistic. Um, by, by and large, we, we're still having pretty strong asking annual rent growth still above the national average, 3.8% across the state. That's a really strong rent growth. Now, it, it varies by market, but again, really, really strong. I know that reflects what you're saying, so it's good to, good to verify what you're seeing out there in the field. And we're all, we've also seen investment activity pick up in the third quarter, and it didn't fall as precipitously as most sectors in the second quarter either. It fell off. Uh, to one of the lowest quarters in the past six years, uh, but nowhere near what it fell off in the other. It wasn't a decade or more low like other sectors. Uh, and we've already seen 
about $1 billion in activity across the state this quarter. And that really only includes through about the first week of September. We're right on track with our normal levels and we could actually see a bump. This is likely to be the strongest quarter of the year. So wow. industrial's looking pretty good. Yeah, I, I know that at least in South Florida, and what's interesting, you mentioned that, that cold storage, that major facility closed down, because I know in South Florida, uh, that's one of the most popular um, products right now is cold storage that we supposedly don't have enough and you know they're getting built everywhere and the, the asking rents are absurdly high because there's a major shortage of it. So I'm very uh, surprised to hear that that uh, major facility uh, shut down. I wonder if there was you know, some other issues with the company yes, or something that like a, that. Yeah, it's, it's a company issue. They had some, uh, I think they're approaching bankruptcy. Uh -huh, that space okay. won't last very long in the market. Yeah, I assume so, because just based on everything that I've seen online and the listings and this and that, I mean, cold storage is a hot product right now. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting to see how many investors are going to be getting into it because, you know, when, when, the, hot, when the product is hot, you know, usually the investor shouldn't get into that. It's when the product is not hot that you should invest. And then so when it is hot, you can make your money uh, so that you're not paying a ridiculous amount for that investment. Um, but I also wanted to ask you about you. You were mentioning uh, construction and uh, the construction starts. Can you talk slightly about how unemployment affects construction costs and um, the lack of uh, skilled labor affecting the construction costs? The job losses we've seen haven't really been in the construction industry. That's held up pretty well. Uh, are you talking about the job losses we've seen since this began in, in February, March? Yeah, yeah. But, so largely, I mean, the overwhelming majority have been in retail trade, leisure and hospitality, professional and business services, and then some in the healthcare and education. Sector. Other than that, most of the other sectors are minimally impacted. So construction labor, it's already been an issue. It's been thin and stretched in for years now, really since the last recession. So there hasn't been a huge COVID impact there. It was already a challenge. The bigger issue would be the global uh, impact of this on the cost of goods, lumber, and other things, materials. That's also being impacted a lagged impact from the trade war of last year that we don't talk about anymore because we've already forgotten about it. So there is certainly increasing construction costs. And the longer this sticks around, the larger the pain is for our economy, the more that will spill over. At this time, though, most of that is, is lagged impact from shortages of skilled workers that were already there. And then impact from global disruptions to the trade that we, we already kind of had in place. So it'll, it'll be a little while, and it'll be dependent on how long this sticks around. If we get a vaccine in three months, it may be minimal impact. Interesting. So you're saying it's more of the uh, previous labor shortages and uh, the trade war more than COVID is affecting it. That's, that's very interesting. Um, and there could be another thing to keep an eye on is uh, there has been a shift to homeownership, obviously, for uh -huh. people because of the obvious thing, wanting to get more space and working from home. Uh, we're out of inventory. There's just not enough homes out there. Some of the lowest inventories that we've ever seen on the residential side, there's huge demand for single family construction and residential. That could start to have an impact as well. I know there's a little bit different in materials, uh, but you know, it, that could spill over. That continues to be a 
a shift we see over the next couple of years, a big surge towards home ownership. Interesting. Uh, so let's get right into that. Let's talk about the multifamily sector then. Um, so you're saying that the single family homes have major demand. Does that mean that the multifamily is diminishing? And by multifamily, let me say, uh, let's go small multifamily. And then can you talk about like large multifamily such as um, like apartment buildings, condos, et cetera? Okay, so what we've seen first is that we have seen a, an increase in home ownership. So obviously every person that buys a home is one less person renting. So if that trend continues, that would uh, be a direct hit to multifamily demand, but it hasn't greatly, you know, we're on the margins when we talk about this stuff right now, it hasn't been a widespread shift. We're still seeing very strong absorption numbers in multifamily. Vacancies have risen over the past two quarters, but we're also in the two heaviest supply quarters we've had. A lot of that is still supply driven. Um, construction is starting to come down. Florida, we've seen about a 50 to 60 basis point rise, so a half a percent or a little more since the end of last year in vacancies. Again, we're seeing a ton of ton of supply all across the state, south everywhere really, building pretty heavily here in Florida. Uh, and we also lost at least one month of move in, move outs too in the second quarter, which is really hitting that absorption number. People kind of just stuck in place. So one thing we've seen with multifamily is second quarter is typically the strongest quarter for multifamily demand. The starting about now, September through the end of the year, is usually the weakest time for multifamily demand, less moves. And we're actually seeing an increase in search activity on apartments.com, an increase in demand for multifamily product, we think we're going to see kind of a six month shift this time. A lot of pent up demand from people that couldn't move in April and May. Uh, and now are shifting that moving period to the next six months. Uh, in fact, we've also got a survey out on apartments.com that 45% of all renters expect to move in the next six months, which is far higher than we've ever attracted at wow. this time of the year before. Are expected to move into a home a that new, they're pur purchasing another, or a new rental? No, into another rental. Okay. Six so we've got a little bit, and part of this is due to the, it's almost a false market that's been created because of the CARES Act and the moratorium. So we haven't seen much of an impact thus far on vacancy rates. Selections have still been pretty high. A lot of that is due to the stimulus, but for the most part, up until the last month with those programs we had in place, the market looks pretty good. So I think the next six months will be key for multifamily and how it goes. Rent growth is still strong, really across the board. We did see, uh, this is one area that we've got daily rents because everybody's moving in daily on multifamily. So it gives us a real time view on an exogenous impact like coronavirus. Whereas industrial, seven to 10 year leases or more sometimes, it's really tough to see the immediate effects. Mm -hmm. But in multifamily, especially in the asking rents, the advertised asking rents, we can see a daily impact. And so we were able to track it across all markets. All 20 of Florida's markets over March and April fell and contracted. Uh, but now at this point in September, 13 of the top 20 markets are actually above where they were. Uh, the areas, the seven that aren't, uh, prepare to be shocked, are Orlando, 
all three South Florida markets, the reasons we talked about the job losses. The coronavirus spike there. The others are Fort Myers, Sarasota, and Naples, and that is all supply. Those three markets have been among the heaviest relative supply in the past three to five years, still building a ton from a relative standpoint. So that's a lot of properties in lease up there. With lease up rates, or lease up periods lengthening. But other than that, the rest of the state is seeing asking rents up. Interesting. So somewhat off topic, uh, you mentioned twice already that Q2 is uh, one of the largest, if not the largest um, growth quarters. Can you, do you know why? Why would that be? Uh, is it, you know, weather related? Is it, you know, um, you know, cyclical? Why, why would Q2 um, in specific be, you know, the boom quarter? It's, uh, so it's just, Seasonality impact. Most people tend to move in the spring and summer months. So got, depending on, you know, that's in between the school years. That's a lot of it. It makes it easier. You're trying to get in there. Uh, and for the vice versa, starting in about September, people are locked into a school calendar year or colleges. Or like that. And it really is just an ideal time for families and most people to make that move from about the April, May period till about. And so historically, that's just when we've seen the strongest demand, meaning absorption, which is directly from moving, and then relatively fewer moves, especially if you're looking at it nationally as well. People like to hunker down, not as much moving in the cold weather months. Yeah, yeah for sure in the cold weather. I know, I, I get that, but I was wondering specifically in Florida uh, why, but that makes absolute sense. The schools, the, you know, the jobs, the colleges, uh, you know, once, once you start that, you don't exactly want to be changing them. Um, so let's go into what uh, a lot of people know is the hardest hit um, in basically the sector is the retail sector. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the retail sector in Florida and how that's been affected by COVID. Okay. So heading into the pandemic, Florida had probably the strongest retail markets in the country. Really, really strong, obviously. Population growth, job growth, consumption levels, tourism, just a lot of tailwinds boosting the retail sector. So before this, it looked fantastic. And I guess it's good news, bad news. The good news is thus far, we've held up relatively well compared to the rest of the nation. Vacancies have only risen 40 basis points in the past nine months, since the end of 2019. Uh, we did have about 280,000 square feet of negative absorption in the second quarter. That was the first negative net absorption quarter in eight years. Uh, but that's not abysmal at all. Nowhere near what we've seen across the board. The nation much bigger hit on average. Uh, but unfortunately, things look like um, they are not improving. Uh, retail is obviously going to be hit. We know there are vacancies coming. We know there are Closures, store closures, especially in malls and power centers. We've seen over a million square feet of negative net absorption just in the third quarter, uh. which will be the largest quarter in the past decade. Uh, we've seen, uh, on the other hand, leasing volume is still relatively high, but it's definitely down from where it was pre-March. And we've also seen, I think the biggest indicator is when you look at sublet space, about 1.5 million square feet available in the third quarter. That's an increase of 200K over the last quarter. But if you look at overall available retail space in Florida, 
3.5 million increase three and we've we're up 8 million square feet over where we were in the end wow so we haven't been hit yet that hard if you look at the to date numbers but when you look at the indicators of what's to come especially with availability and what's being marketed from brokers and owners that are expecting some vacancies in the very near future uh, it certainly points to going to have a rough couple of months quarters ahead of us um so can you talk a little bit about <clears throat> miami in specific i know that miami let's say pre-covid had a major lack in retail supply which is partially why our rental rates are absurdly high um, because you know if you don't have the supply then you can call for um, and the demand is at least high then you can call for higher prices um, so have you seen based on other um, areas in Florida that Miami is holding somewhat stronger because of their lack of supply or is Miami getting hit just as hard due to the uh, lack of tourism? Yeah, you're going to laugh about this, but really the whole state supply is way down, right? Nobody's building retail across the country, but Miami is actually the highest relative, relative supply in the state. It's wow. only about a one and a half percent of inventory underway, which is a draw. It's nothing compared to what it was. If you go back to pre like 2004, five, six, seven, it's, it's only a fraction of what it was then. So when you look at it on a historical basis, it, it appears minuscule, but when you compare it against the nation uh, and the state, it's actually building one of the higher levels. Is that so, new building or is that existing supply? That is new construction. Okay. And the way we do it to relative, to make it relative to other markets, we just take the total construction under, underway uh, against the existing inventory to adjust for the size of the market. Uh, so the relative supply in Miami is, is actually, I don't want to say high because it's not high. It's just, it's just high compared to other markets. Uh, I, I was, I was kind of mentioning more of like the existing supply. Do we have numbers on that or is it only the, uh, the new, so the new building supply? So we do. Miami is one of the worst rent growth retail markets in the state. Really? Wow. Uh, it's, a, it's near the bottom. The strongest have been uh, Orlando, Tampa, and Jacksonville have been among the nation's leaders the last five, six, seven years. Wow. Palm Beach and Lauderdale are also in the top 10. Uh, Miami, just Miami-Dade specifically, has been one of the laggards and underperforming markets over the last year and really the last few years. Wow. So, so it, it's really interesting how getting these, um, basically these updates on how the sectors are doing, how the state is doing, the country's doing can um, improve strategy and know what you should be looking for, what to expect. Um, and it's, it's a fantastic resource to have to be able to touch back and, and find these updated numbers so that as a broker specifically, or as an investor, I can know what I should be targeting. Um, so it's, it's, it's really nice. And um, are, are these the types of things that you can just find readily available on CoStar? Or do they need to contact you? Like, how do, how do we find these, these updates? So all of this information, everything I've got here is pulled from CoStar. Everybody that has, an, has access to the product can pull all of this, depending on whatever geography they have access to. You can contact me. I'm not a salesperson, but I can put you in touch <laughs> with, the, with the appropriate parties. Okay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. If you don't have access, contact me and, and I'll route you to the person. 
but yeah, everybody can do all of this. You can compare against everything. I think the biggest thing that I like to encourage all users of CoStar to do is to make sure that you compare whatever your specific focus is on. A lot of us get caught up in our sectors or submarkets. Look at what the overall market is, how the state's performing. Compare what's going on in Tampa against Florida, for example, and then against the nation uh, to give you a little bit better view. Tampa is actually, it looks terrible when you look at Tampa compared against past five years. But then when you compare it against the rest of the state and the nation, you see Tampa is actually doing really, really well. And that gives you a good idea on what to expect. This is an event-driven phenomenon. Once the pandemic is gone, we should mostly resume some of the prior momentum. And so how we're holding up relative to other markets should give you an idea of what the trajectory will be once this event. That's interesting and certainly something to take into account. Um, but we are getting to the end of our time. I really want to thank you, Brian, for talking to us about the state of the Florida market and slightly the uh, market as a whole. Um, one of my favorite things that you were mentioning is about the macro and how the trade war and these other factors are affecting us and we don't feel the effects for multiple months after. So even if we think, yeah, this or that is affected by COVID, we might not even feel the true effects of it for multiple months. And I think that's such an interesting thing to think about and prepare yourself for and prepare your business, prepare, prepare your investments and your strategies so that you can take advantage of those, um, I guess, opportunities that are bound to come. You know, when other people get hit and there's distressed assets, you can attack those. Uh, so I, I really want to thank you for coming on, talking to us, and uh, hopefully we'll get you on in a you know a couple more months to so that you can explain how we're past COVID and everything is you know rainbows and sunshine. Absolutely, I would love nothing more. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. So there you have it. Uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Getting on the Green. Uh, Brian gave us a lot of good information specifically about the Florida market, but he also touched on the markets as a whole in the United States and how COVID has affected it. Um, we have a lot of good guests to come. Great guests, actually. Let me let me take that back. They are great guests coming up, so you don't want to miss our subsequent episodes. Uh, we will send out a teaser on Monday of next week, and I am excited for them. So until then, we will see you next time on The Green.